Buongiorno and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy and international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Techum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of the Global Podcast, we're going to be speaking to Tayo Roxon, who is the president and CEO of UYD Management and the host of his own podcast called As Told by Nomads. As the name is pretty much suggesting, he is a tricultural kid and he's an incredible human being. I really do recommend you watch his TED Talk called The Art of Diplomacy. In addition to the other TED Talks he's given, he's given about a total of three. He is a storyteller, a cultural translator, and a brand strategist for change makers on a mission to use his difference to make a difference. I am very pleased to welcome Tayo Rocks. And Tayo, welcome to the Global Podcast. The pleasure is mine, and thank you for the kind words. Uh, this is really exciting to be on here. So I'm, I'm excited to talk diplomacy, cross-cultural communications, uh, and whatever you want me to talk about. It's brilliant, and in fact, it's precisely that I want to bring it up, is just to discuss about the importance of understanding what cross-cultural communication is. Uh, and of course, we'll bring it back into a diplomatic standpoint, but for our audience, could you please explain in your words what cross-cultural communication or cross-cultural diplomacy means for you. Yeah, so for me, it essentially means being effectively able to communicate across cultures. So to deal with the nuances that comes with that, the subtleties that that exist, you know, with the business, the interpersonal relationships and understanding how to still preserve, you know, have that culture dexterity, if you will, to preserve your yourself while understanding and taking uh, things in. So there's a lot of open mindedness to understand that there are multiple ways to, you know, one solution. Uh, there's a lot of perspective shifting and perspective taking to be able to take yourself out of your your normal uh, mindset or biases and see things from another lens. And there's a lot of empathy and peace building. So, you know, sometimes that can come in, in the form of negotiations or, you know, um, you know, uh, making sure that you have uh, those tense situations be neutralized. So that's how I see it. And, and that's what I've, I've been focused on. And particularly, I enjoyed the fact how you've mentioned to really see it from the other perspective, which which in my eyes has always been quite crucial and important. But I would love to understand from you, given the the business that you run and the ethos around your life, which is all about cross-cultural communication, why do you feel this is particularly important in today's day and age? I think it's it's so important in today's day and age because of what's happening in the world. We are in an interesting time of globalization and digitalization, yet we have so much division. Now, division along the lines of whether it's, you know, immigration policies, whether it's people with different religions, people with different um, orientations uh, sexually, people with different mindsets politically. And it, it seems like there's a lot of my way versus your way. And what's missing is 
there's no bridge essentially you know a lot of walls are being erected but we're missing on the connecting aspect and it's always been an interesting paradox for me because if we look at the world we do see that we have the tools to connect you know effectively we have the tools to be able to to i can reach china now with my computer i can reach um nigeria just as fast but a lot of us sometimes haven't addressed our biases and sometimes i think we react that way because we we think it's some indictment in us if we have to admit that we might have been wrong about certain things. And so I I think it's, it's so important because I don't want the next generation of global leaders to adopt the same behavior because I think that's going to uh, fuel more ignorance, which will, in essence, create more violent situations. And there won't be as, as much empathy or inclusion. And if we're diverse, why aren't we working on inclusion? Precisely. And we are seeing this, as you've said, I mean, whether it's the rise of populism or the heightened sense of nationalism, whether it's in Europe or in Latin America, continuing to spread, it really has that uh, lack of the understanding of the other within its root of it. And uh, I, 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 I want to highlight the fact that you've said the notion of one is seems to be afraid of uh, of proving that they're wrong or, or actually wanting to show that they're right in some sense. Can we also say that cross-cultural communication is also a sense of allowing oneself to be vulnerable or, or an aspect of vulnerability? Uh, precisely. I, I, you, you, I mean, it is all vulnerable because what you're doing is you're opening your mind to the, the possibility of, of another world and that involves you, you know, being potentially being wrong. Right. You could go to a different culture and you could greet someone in a different way that, that could be merely put on you and said, hey, that's not how we do it here. That, you know, that's being vulnerable. And, and or you could be just actually being vulnerable with your biases. You know, a lot of us have biases. Every one of us has biases. It's what makes us humans. But sometimes some of these biases can end up being negative if they've informed policies or they've informed how we think or how we refer to other people. And if you're being made known that, hey, maybe you thought that this was okay and no one has really brought it up to you, but this is how it actually makes me feel, that's being vulnerable where you you receive that information, you let go of your ego, and then you just accept that, wow, I could be better. So important, particularly letting go of the ego and allowing yourself to really understand the other and to, and in a way to develop, which you articulate beautifully in your TED Talk, The Art of Diplomacy. I know I'm, I'm going to start becoming a, a broken record uh, throughout this, <laughs> this episode because I cannot stress the absolute brilliance of that talk of, of The Art of Diplomacy. And uh, going you. into what you discussed in there, so a little bit of background on you. you. You grew up in a diplomatic family. Your father is a as a yes. Nigerian diplomat, and clearly you you were exposed to the importance of this cross-cultural communication uh, within the diplomatic sphere, and uh, myself working with, uh, within freelance diplomacy and working with uh, multiple governments in my previous history before launching PACS, uh, it's the, the importance of, of that, that, that capability to connect with others is crucial in order to, to make a successful diplomatic exchange. Now, growing up in that ambiance, how did that, could you tell me a little bit about that background and how this forged you to become who, who you are and to lead you to see that with that aha moment as, wait a minute, this cross-culture communications thing, this needs to be plugged in more. Well, um, that's a great question. So I, I grew up in two military dictatorships initially. So, 
you know, I, I grew up in two military dictatorships where in a country where we are extremely diverse. You know, Nigeria is a country with at least 250 ethnic groups, many of which were vying for ethnic domination. So there was a lot of uh, nuance already there with me just watching and observing as coup after coup was happening based on, you know, who felt heard, seen and understood. And so when we transitioned to civilian role, my dad's job as a diplomat began to take us more frequently out of the country. I was always uh, the minority, uh, and I found myself, I remember I always say the story, I found myself as this skinny Nigerian kid with a thick Nigerian accent in a French-speaking country in an American international school going through puberty. And so, as a 10-year-old, that is a lot to deal with. That is something that you're, you're just trying to figure out how to fit in, how to make friends, how not to stand out, you know, because people are pointing that out to you, and the last thing you want to do in a new environment is to, you know, to, to, to be the goofy kid that uh, people make fun of. And so it was a survival mechanism for me to understand and observe people and, under, and you just figure out what made people tick. And I essentially became a pseudo uh, sociologist where I would collect the live information and I'll take all these notes and start just figuring out ways that people were connecting. And I figured out sports was one of the big connectors for me. I love sports, but I, I understood sports in a way where I could bring that, use that to, to make friends and so on and so on. And as I grew older, I, I started to draw parallels with what was going on in the world. I, you know, Nelson Mandela, the late Nelson Mandela and Oprah Winfrey are my biggest influences. And so seeing what they did with their platforms really informed me with what I could do with my platform. I began to see the power in my story as a, a kid who grew up in five countries and four continents. And I looked at the world where I saw a lot of people weren't focused on, on connecting. And I, I just said to myself one day, I said, what if I shared my, my stories and what I've learned, you know, I've been collecting all this information and applied it to businesses, to governments and to families. And I started writing. And the, the more the more writing I did, um, I, I found my voice, you know, led to the podcast. And as I launched the podcast, I started to bring on more people like myself to do the same sort of thing and, and share their stories. And for me, it was like what you're doing here. You gather a lot of stories from people that grew up in similar backgrounds. You see a lot of trends. You come up with your theories. You start speaking more and more, and that leads to consulting. And 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 that's how I built my career. It's a lot of observation, very very intentional about trying to to build global leaders and figuring out ways that we can uh, create bridges for sure. Create bridges exactly. And one of our team members at uh, at Pax Techum loved the quote that you mentioned in uh, your talk, which is diplomacy, the understanding the differences around you to understand the similarities that exist. And yeah. it's beautiful how you bring that to your businesses as well. And to allow them to see the, the importance of bridging that gaps, understanding that we initiate, we actually belong to each other, despite all the, the, the smoke and all the other uh, hullabaloo, we really have a fundamental unity. And I want to take this question then to another angle. Clearly, uh, cross-cultural communication is vital for diplomats. It's vital for NGOs. But many, and I'm sure from your experience, many within business find that, oh, that's just hullabaloo. I don't need this in my life. You know, the, the, the language of business is universal and, and all that nonsense, which I just roll my eyes and say, what are you talking about? So how, how can we say how this is important as well for businesses? How is cross-cultural communications also vital for business as much as it is for diplomats? Well, I mean, if we if we if we look at just simple holidays, for example, if you're doing business with India and you're doing business with China or anything like that, 
not understanding that in China, business has to, a relationship has to be uh, developed way before you launch a business can be detrimental to your business because a lot of Chinese people do business with people that they trust. And that involves, you know, them seeing you, them taking you out and them doing sort of things. It's very similar a lot of uh, Latin American countries and, 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 and some African countries. But if you don't understand that nuance and you go in there thinking, I have a solution that works for you, you're just going to, you're going to love it. It doesn't matter. This is the bottom line. They're going to lose business because they're going to go with someone that they believe they can see and trust. And the same sort of thing, if we come up with holidays and you want to do a sale and you maybe miss out on the fact that it's Diwali, for example, and it's, you know, it's a big Indian holiday, so Chinese New Year, you not understanding the cultural significance of that can make you, once again, lose He's out of business. And that is exactly what being a cultural detective is or, you know, a, a culture connector is. It, it's not it's not applying one universal way to every single uh, business because th- that, that doesn't make any sense. You know, we have 7.5 billion people in the world thinking that everyone is going to think differently. Ultimately, it's to the detriment of who you are. But then if let's if, if we want to just do generations, you know, millennials and versus Gen Xers versus baby boomers not understanding how to communicate with different generations or understanding that a lot of millennials prefer flexibility and, you know, things that like that, that speak to the mission. And if you approach them by saying, well, we're going to give you the biggest salary in the world and, and you're going to work 29 hours a day and you have to stay in the office and you don't, you miss out on the nuance of that, that is going to be to your detriment. So understanding the nuance, the audience and the people that you want in place plays a big role. And, and, and that's a commitment that we all have to do. It does, it's not just for diplomats. It's not just for um, government officials. It's for every single person. I like how you said as well, the generational gap as well, that night speed goes yeah. beyond the culture, but also it has to be of generation. And I'm sensing there really is miscomprehension or lost in translation when it comes to millennials versus the previous generation, where they say millennials are too wishy-washy, they want to have a hug every day, and they want to be empowered and significant, and all that nonsense. Taking that taking that notion, which many business leaders, I have heard a great number of uh, CEOs and managers who just say they don't want to hire millennials because they're afraid that they just want to have be entitled to everything, which, which, which is as ridiculous as it sounds. Where can cross-culture communication or techniques can be used to understand the gener- the generational gap? Is there any case study you can provide in which a business managed to, to utilize such to understand their, their young employees or their young staff, both beyond culture but within a generation? Well, I mean, if we look at the, the if you look at the SAP 500 and the makeups of the companies right now, a lot of the new newer companies, whether it's regardless of what you think of Facebook or Uber or all these other companies that are growing up right now, the ones that are now taking the face of the SAP, they are being led <laughs> by uh, millennials, right? Instagram, all these other things, um, I, with the exception of Amazon, who's basically taking over the world, and, and, yes. and Google. These are all, yeah, these are all millennial-led companies. So to almost pretend like it doesn't exist, that that culture doesn't exist is, I mean, it's going to be to your detriment. If you look deeper into a lot of the company cultures, whether it's Pinterest or any of this, you're going to see a lot of what we talked about, whether it's um, uh, the attention to flexibility, attention to, uh, you know, standing up for a cause, you know, making uh, inclusive policies be more visible. 
These are all things that matter. And so if you don't want to be a dinosaur and you don't want to do um, to, to be, you know, wiped out, it's 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 going to be to your detriment not to do that. Another thing to think about is uh, there are three billion people under 30. Right. That, that's the rough estimate. Currently, three billion people under 30. As uh, generations age out, your audience and your target market is definitely going to skew younger. It, it, it's just the way things have worked out over time. And if it's going to skew younger, it, you need to understand what exactly the younger audience wants, how they like to be communicated to, and how they like to be, you know, to be seen in terms of their products and things like that. So all these things matter regardless of whether you place importance of it or not. Because even if you don't place importance of it or not, it's going to catch up to you because your competitor is going to do that. Precisely. And it's just in the end of the day, it's really just bad business to not be willing to innovate and listen to the the potential buyer, because as you said, they're going to get younger. So if to stay the same, it's it, it's the worst business would one can make. So indeed, investing in understanding millennials is key. And, and, and we've seen that across platforms and businesses where they're really tailoring. I mean, so many businesses now are going on Snapchat. I mean, I'm not even on Snapchat. I'm a millennial. And there <laughs> it's, it's, it's surreal. Now taking it to another level, we've spoke on earlier in regards to how there seems to be, uh, there is the need for cross-cultural communication. There's a need for understanding culturally, um, and and how we feel that there seems to be a weird paradigm shift right now in this age where there's much more us versus them more than anything uh, you're a tricultural kid as am i and we clearly we understand the the importance of knowing multiple cultures because that's just simply in our dna that is just necessary and important and i feel in a way being tricultural kids we do see the world in this weird, cocky, mamied way, almost as if it's a superpower. It was about we're consistently analyzing how one speaks and says, "Ooh, I think you're from here," or or so on and so forth. Just as you said, a cultural investigator, which I think is brilliant. Uh, how can tricultural kids really take uh, play a role in perhaps bridging the gap between? Uh, those who are fearful of other cultures and those who are you know, on the other side or the ones that they fear precisely? Great question. So third culture kids, uh, that's the term you're referring to. So third culture kids or TCKs, for those uh, listening, uh, this is the definition. So third culture kid is essentially anyone that spent the formative periods of their lives outside of their parents' cultures. So this refers to diplomatic kids, army brats, people that just grew up with parents that are always moving to different parts of the world. And the three cultures generally are like, you know, the, your passport country, you know, the the mix of all the countries that, that you, you've grown up in and whatever your unique uh, culture ends up being. So, you know, when they say third culture kid, that that's what that means. Uh, you know, a synonym could be global nomad. But what that allows a lot of, of people to have in terms of perspective is your your mind inevitably gets opened up to the world. You you become intimately aware that the world is so much bigger than you, than you are. And even and the more you travel, you you are even more aware about that fact. And so because you have that knowledge, you can understand that thinking in a narrow-minded way it's is is very very detrimental. You can understand that wow, so this is why this is important in this culture. Maybe I can apply it to this or this is 
what the, 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 been the negative effects can happen here. I've had a lot of, um, for example, I'm Nigerian. I've had a lot of Americans and, and Europeans sometimes when they hear my stories about Nigeria, that they, they are, they feel sometimes bad and like, well, I didn't know that that was the effect of colonialism or that was the effect of that. And, you know, that's just an open perspective. Or maybe before people in, in, in different parts of the world would have been closed-minded about a culture in Eastern Asia, but then they go to Asia and they're like, whoa, it's actually not what I thought. It's not what the movies portray. There are different things. And you see this all the time. When I came to America, people used to sing, you know, Lion King songs to me or like say, well, do you drive cars or things like that? Oh, no. But <laughs> I, I know, but th then I was able to open their mind up to be like, no, it's actually not true. There are very, very, very many modern buildings and things like that. So it allows you to humanize people as well, build your empathy, open your perspective, and then see the world through multiple lenses, which is what the world truly is. And the Lion King story that you just said, it has slightly left me a little bit traumatized. I can't believe someone's <laughs> actually done that to you. Uh, that that literally has me shocked. In fact, I can, I can now think of my own recollection. I mean, for our audience members, I happen to be uh, Italian and Dominican, but born in New York. And in London, I was taking a taxi from Heathrow back home. Uh, the the taxi driver, he, he says, oh, where are you from? Are you Egyptian? And I explained my heritage. And he goes, Dominican Republic, spicy food, spicy food, and tacos. And I just stared at him. And I had to educate wow. him. He says, well, actually, we don't eat spicy food in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> we really don't. I was going to say... <laughs> He was shocked. He was quite shocked. Like, you know, we have saffron and African ingredients and Spanish ingredients, but tacos are in Mexico, and it opened his world. I think maybe that's a world we can play as well, too, calling out people uh, in those little instances. Yeah, yeah. That's why I describe myself as a culture translator, because I find myself translating different cultures for many people um, sometimes. And, and also... I find myself learning more about the world because it's, it's not to say because you're a third culture kid, you know everything. Because what I, what I was saying earlier, you realize you don't know uh, much more. But what happens is your curiosity is awakened. And then with that curiosity, you're using that to like, oh, I want to know more. I want to know more. Tell me more. And so that's that's how I see it. And that's the best way to really put it, that the, the cross-cultural communications should keep you hungry to learn more because the amount of cultures are just so endless that one should consistently being both in a vulnerable position and allowing themselves to really receive and learn and develop and grow, which, you know, you mentioned Oprah Winfrey is, is someone you look up to, and that's that's one, I think, her, her gospel. Develop, grow, learn, connect. Um, and that's where cross-cultural communication really play. Uh, last last question to really wrap this up uh, we've mentioned the importance of cross-cultural communications we've mentioned how it is something that is vital for diplomacy but ever so much needed in business and particularly needed in the this uh, scary day and age in which we're living in what is one tip for someone who uh, is listening into this podcast and is really wanting to change their ways they've they, they, they want to convert and adopt the gospel of cross-cultural communication. What is the one thing they can do today to really become a more culturally aware human being? So I always say that there's a framework. So educate, don't perpetuate, instead communicate. So this is what I mean. So with educate, I'm saying it, invo it involves a few things. So, uh, um, you know, it's, there's the cultural, um, you know, intelligence, emotional intelligence and IQ. And that involves 
education, education of self, so self-awareness. Understand what your biases are and how you normally react to, towards that. What are your biases? Do, you, do they inform a life, your decisions? Understand why you think what you think. A lot of people don't know why they believe what they believe. And not knowing why you believe what you believe and growing up to make decisions based on that is a very dangerous thing because it doesn't allow you to apply critical thinking. Also, I always ask people to check themselves. Do you live in accordance to your core values? When you talk to a lot of people that make interesting statements or racist statements, they're like, no, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. And so I always have people to ask them, you know, to look in the mirror, say, hey, do you really, everything you said and write down your core values, integrity, honesty, all that. Do you believe that you practice what you just, you, you said? So that that's one thing, self-awareness. And then the, uh, the second part of educate is educate yourself on the environment. So the environment around you, do you know who your neighbors are? Do you know who leads, uh, you know, who's the mayor, who's the governor, who's the senator? Do you know how the same set of laws can affect different sets of people? It is very important to understand these things beyond just election time, because these are the things that shape a lot of what goes on around you, whether you are aware of it or not. So education of self and environment, that's the educate. The don't perpetuate involves uh, two things as well. It's making sure that you don't perpetuate systems with your words or or jokes, you know, those trivial jokes. I'm just going to make uh, a homophobic joke. I'm going to make a joke about different culture. I'm going to like, you know, you know, trivialize someone's identity based on something that I think is funny. And I'm going to share that. Sometimes people will be silent because they don't want to. They're like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just... Uh, I'm just sucking it in, but you don't know how they feel inside. You know, now someone who has been on the receiving end of a lot of these jokes, um, and every one of us has made some jokes where we, whether we thought we were being funny or not, but it's important to understand not to trivialize people's identity. So don't perpetuate in that way because that can play into how people hire people where you could there could be a candidate between a, um, a, a like a Dominican or a, a Caucasian person. Some might say, oh, well, I heard this story about Dominicans and I don't want to work with them, so I'm not going to hire them. That stuff really happens. I've, Which I've heard. I've heard, I've heard yeah, multiple exactly. Times. It does happen. And then the second part why I don't perpetuate is in is, is spreading false narratives and, and revisionist history, right? So a lot of what I was when I work with education systems, I'm always asking them for the curriculums to be, you know, really inclusive. If you're going to talk about Thanksgiving, for example, make sure you tell the whole story, right? Talk about, you know, the massacre of Native Americans as well as whatever the significance is. It's not just a revisionist history. You have to make sure that people are able to humanize historical figures because a lot of times the history has been the people pr uh, promoted are the Europeans and that perpetuates this narrative that Europeans are more dominant and every other culture is just inferior. Um, also, false narratives. People are quick to spread false new, you know, fake news today, whether it's based on a headline that confirms their, their bias. They don't even read the story. They just share these stories and it's just creating all these, um, you know, echo chambers. So that's the don't perpetuate. And then the communicate is really, we all need to make an effort to communicate with people that have different values from us. A lot of times, whenever we come across people that have different values from us, we just feel like it's too, it's too difficult. I'm not going to put the effort, but that's very dangerous because if you're not, if you're not able to deal with what that, that could in, um, come up with and embrace open dialogue, that puts us in a place where we're just going to have more walls and it's just going to be invisible. And we're not going to know what's going to happen. Um, when you know things get pretty tense because we haven't had the time to work things out. We haven't had the time to make mistakes in public. We haven't had time to really address a lot of these things. So 
yeah, um, those would be what I would say. Educate, don't perpetuate. Instead, communicate. That's an actually a brilliant way, and I, I can't help but hear a little uh, innuendo of, uh, you know, no building walls. I feel like that could be a good message, particularly for uh, my fellow Americans with the, the yeah. Republican and Democratic divide, because, indeed, one one has to understand and be willing to be vulnerable to really foster that peace develop and grow because as you said you know don't perpetuate educate and communicate and that is really three simple words but can really foster so much impactful peace thank you thank you and and you know i want to commend you on the work that you do i think it's um it's really important you know to really you know put the commitment that you're putting into but also show people that you know the world is so much bigger than us and we can do so much with just making the effort and using our privileges the right way and, and understanding how to address certain oppressions and calling things out. And so your platform is very important today. Well, as they say in the Middle East, inshallah, that it really it does become a platform of, of benefit, particularly to the audience. Well, Tayo, it has been an absolute pleasure. I urge everybody listening, as you are done with this podcast, you will go on YouTube, go type in The Art of Diplomacy, watch uh, the wonderful uh, talk he gives on it, and also subscribe to his As Told by Nomads podcast as well, in addition to the Global Podcast. So, Tayo, it has been a pleasure. Thank you for coming on board. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and a true honor. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Second Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtechumglobal.org. That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L.org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of Pax on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, Please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcast. Join us next week for another edition, and until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!